versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Here we go. Still no weight classification for you, Anthony Weiner. I noticed uh, the headline there. I'm still the heavyweight champion, and you're like... Still a tomato can. I'm still here to be pummeled <laughs> by you, I guess. I didn't even get a title. It's like when they would put those anonymous guys in the ring in the wrestling matches, and you knew right from the moment it began that superstar Billy Graham was just going to beat up some dude, and that's basically who I am. I'm surprised they even say my name after four or five weeks here. Well, look, look, uh, you're earning. You're earning your cred. Uh, the longer you're on, the more cred you get. Eventually, they'll bestow one of these uh, belts on you. That's true. They, they didn't have a name for Buster Douglas until he knocked out Tyson. I just want to warn you about that, you know. That's for sure. Uh, later on, we got to talk about the resumption of the baseball season. I thought for sure the millionaires crashing with the billionaires we're going to destroy the baseball season, at least uh, until maybe halfway through the summer. And yet they finally agreed everybody's going to be uh, having to take a reverse mortgage to go see their favorite team. So we'll get into that. And also uh, radio in general, because uh, you've now experienced more than a month on the airwaves here at WABC. Uh, so you're ripe to be critiqued. You're ripe to, uh, you're the new Jack, although actually a recycled new Jack, somebody who was very used to doing radio as a host, also as a contributor, uh, as a caller, as a listener. You went, you, you, you did the whole Quinella. Uh, but now you're back, and what do you think after like well, plus, a month? Plus, I've been, I've been studying. I've been studying. My, I got my, my, my books out of the Queens Public and the Brooklyn Public Library about what it takes to be a good radio host, naturally. A whole chapter on you in most of these books, you know, you know, chapters, sometimes they be like Curtis, sometimes they say be less like Curtis. And I'm also getting a lot of the gossip here at WABC that now that I'm here more, what is with you and Frank Marano on the overnights? You know, it it looks to me, because as you know, I'm a a student of the diagnostics, a student of the numbers, that that show is doing amazingly well. And he has been, Frank's been taking something of a victory tour. Yes, yes, he has. And I notice... As he tours around the different shows and does guest hosts and there are profiles done on him, I know that 60 Minutes is working on a, a piece about him. As this, as he does his victory tour, one name has been left out, and it's his, the guy that fills in for a good portion of the overnights during the week. And I think that's you. I, I got to tell you something. I, you know, I know you're too big a man to mention this, except uh, Except on, in the Sid and Bernie show you mentioned this week, you might have mentioned it. I, I forget. A few times. But you're too big a mention, but I will say I'm on, I'm on Team Curtis here. <laughs> if you look at the numbers carefully, what much of the viewer, the listenership is looking for on the overnights is they're just tuning in to see if Curtis is going to be on. And Frank is benefiting from that because people fall asleep before they get a chance to turn off the radio, and his numbers look amazing when it's really that they're well, looking for you. It certainly has assisted him. He has scored the highest ratings ever. An overnight talk radio here at WABC, and that says a lot. I mean, we had the great Alan B. Combs, who did great theater of the mind overnights. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Uh, But the guy who dominated from coast to coast was Art Bell, that Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown. He had monster ratings, and Frank Morano has superseded those ratings. Uh, The other side of midnight, he comes on uh, Monday through uh, Fridays from 1 in the morning to 5 in the morning. And then, obviously, I do uh, the weekend version. But now I've had to change the name. 
because we have to do the analytics. You're, you're very good at doing yeah. analytics. The five mornings that he does it versus the two mornings that I do it so I can at least get my fair share of the credit for the skyrocketing ratings overnight. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, as you know, I'm on Team Curtis here. I, I think, And you don't have to listen to it in the overnight. If you're someone like me that, that now has the sleeping habits of an old man, I can get it on the, in the podcast version. It's, I subscribe to the RSS feed. It pops up on my phone when it's ready. But I want to tell you something. Um, I think this is patently unfair, and I appreciate how amazing work that he's done. He deserves all the credit he gets. But there has to be at least an asterisk next to his record because according to the numbers I've seen, you hold your own in that overnight segment. I've got to give you credit for that. Well, we're now going to have to uh, find the name. Many of the callers have been kind enough to text me, uh, uh, have been sending in emails, or were calling in late last night with a panoply of different ideas of which uh, the mockers, the muckety-mucks, the suits here at WABC will have to determine the final outcome. Chad Lopez, our capo di tutti, our general manager, the owners and operators, uh, uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis. So I'll leave it in their hands, but there will be a different name, and obviously we'll be able to analytically follow moment by moment, hour by hour, what the ratings are, and who deserves credit where credit is. I I think that's fair. I mean, one thing that is pretty clear and— I think you and I can take a little bit of credit for this. This show is doing very well. People are tuning in. I still believe that they're tuning in just to rubberneck to see what kind of crazy thing might happen. And then there are people who live in this fantasy world where either you won the election or I won the election. The eight people out there that might have voted for both of us. And uh, there are a lot of people that tune in and they just want to lapse back into their into their easy chairs or their lazy boy and say, what if? Sliwa or Wiener got elected mayor and not de Blasio and Adams. But uh, Eric Adams is doing a fantastic job. I'm sure you'd agree. And um, so. But we'll have to talk about that later, because last time I looked at the analytics, the crime is worse than it was at any time during the eight years of Bill de Blasio. 200 percent increase in subway crime just in a week. So can we put that off? Can we put that off? A bit because- well, we can talk about it later. I, I also – we have to put it off to a little bit later because it's not until later in the program that we have the intervention for you to get over it a little bit. I mean I, I heard you on, on Sid and Bernie in the morning. By the way, the number one morning radio show in all of New York City. Uh, we pray that Bernie comes back quickly. Sid was doing the show alone. You were on the show. I was also on the show. During your portion when you were on with Sid – it was suggested that maybe Curtis, that you get over it now that you, the election is over. You give the you give uh, Mayor Adams a chance. You you breathe deep for a moment. Maybe give him a moment to to, to get his legs under. But it's only been a couple of months, and that maybe we need to have some kind of intervention for you to snap you out of the the fervor that you're in. That the election is over. We all join together. We take a a big hug. I think you call it a kumbaya moment. Um, and I, I listen, I, I have I have the mayor's number not far from here. We can arrange for you maybe here at the ABC, the WABC studios, the beautiful studios that John Katsimatidis uh, got for WABC when he took over. Maybe it's time for you guys to have a hug, to have a moment together. Yeah, you know, we could skateboard together. We could shoot hoops together. We could do isometrics, what's calisthenics. That club he, what's that club he goes to? You can go to that there. Oh, Zero Bond. Go no, to Zero they threw Bond me out together. Of they threw me out of there. I'm not a private member. But I will tell you this. When does the guy work? But we'll get into all of that later on. Uh, There are now bumper stickers that have been given out in Bayside and Whitestone and College Point. And they say right on the back bumper, I saw a few of them. Don't blame me. I voted for Sliwa. (laughs) So it's going to be kind of difficult to get over it when people are starting to give bumper stickers out.
Uh, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So to the Ukraine, day 17 of the invasion by uh, the Russians and Vladimir Putin uh, of uh, the major cities in the Ukraine. And I got to tell you, in all the banter back and forth with all the wonks and all the experts, because everybody is a self-appointed expert, talking about how we have cut off any imports of uh, petroleum products or natural gas from Russia, as have members of the European Union. And I said, but wait a second. There is one energy source we continue to get from Russia that is difficult to get from other places. And there hasn't even been a mention of that, nor any questions by the Fourth Estate, members of the Fourth Estate. You would have thought somebody would have said, Mr. President Joe Biden, why are we still importing uranium from Russia for our nuclear power plants? Uranium. Why don't we just cut that off? Well, you know, the, the first, let's, let's reset the table. The, you know, the American people not only are making sacrifices in terms of the high price they're paying at the pump because that's, you know, frankly, was going to happen in the context of a war. It was ha- starting to happen even before the war. We've now sent over a billion dollars in defensive aid to 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 the Ukraine. Two hundred fifty million dollars this week alone. Sixteen countries are now organized in a way that, frankly, hasn't been organized since World War II to stand up to them. And it, and and all of this, we have to keep in mind that that Ukraine might be winning the war on Twitter, but they're losing the war. I mean, this is a, a this is a, approaching a genocide. I mean, what is going on now? And 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 Putin is is positioning weapons that are devastating that are that are ready to that are that are poised so we shouldn't forget that our first priority has to be to try to help these people and figure out the way to do it in a way without expanding this to world war three but um i was not even aware that we were still importing importing uranium 16 percent of the uranium we import into our nuclear power plants comes from russia no talk of uh ceasing and desisting and purchasing that because it is so vital the nuclear power plants have to have uranium to continue to function and uh, there aren't that many sources of uranium around the world, right? But it's it's, it's hydrocarbons that that support that that country. With without access to money for oil and gas, Russia can't survive. Now they can survive long enough to continue to do amazing and 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 and, and devastating damage to Ukraine. But that's really going to hurt them. I mean, the the problem that we're facing now, Curtis, is Putin is in a corner. And when someone like him, who has this very clear, albeit crazy, perception of it's him against the world, and he always saw that now it kind of is him against the world, and we have to figure out a way to get him out of that corner. You know, I know, I know it sounds like the most that is that trying to be psychological warfare with a crazy person might be a dangerous place to be, but he is in a corner now, and I am increasingly skeptical that there's any way out for him except by by doing more and more damage. Well, we don't do it by vilifying him, by calling him Hitler, because every time we call somebody Hitler, it's like in preparation to go to war against him. I mean, just look at the laundry list of all the people who at one time were our friends or we had relationships with, and in a moment, for whatever reason, we decided they were on the outside looking in Saddam Hussein, Hitler, Muammar Gaddafi, Hitler, Bashir Assad, Hitler. Now it's Vladimir Putin, Hitler. It's like once you uh, tag somebody with that name, there's almost no way that you're going to get back to any form of normalcy with that person. And why we keep doing it is beyond me. How do you compare somebody to Hitler? I mean, maybe you would have uh, compared Mao and Stalin for the number of uh, killings that they committed against their own people and others. 
But we throw that word around so commonly when we had no problem when he was doing this in Aleppo and Syria because we said, well, you know, those are ISIS uh, supporters, al-Qaeda supporters. We had no problem when in Chechnya when he was doing that, when he leveled Grozny. Oh, you know, those uh, Islamic uh, fanatics there, you know, so... This is his method of operation. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. Well, perhaps that's true. But it's also you've got to be careful also when people like Lindsey Graham say we should assassinate him. You know, anything that reinforces his idea that he's, you know, he's in a, he's in this corner is difficult. But but let's you know, again, we're trying to figure out how to get into the mind of someone who is not who is not acting entirely rational, perhaps. And I, and I always am skeptical when people try to diagnose mental illness from reading a newspaper. But we have to be prepared for the idea that in his perception of the world, he is doing this expansionist Russian thing that they have done time immemorial. You know, I mean, there was a time when, when the, the, the Russians had, had accumulated so much land, there was one-sixth of all the land mass was in the United Soviet Socialist Republic. So, but, but the question is, how do you give him some way to back out, some way to get out of the corner? And I agree, name-calling is not, is not the thing to do, but it's also truth-telling. And I give the Biden administration a lot of credit. They have they were right about this buildup. They were right that it that of what he intended to do. Every time he tries to do some form of misinformation or disinformation campaign, their strategy has been to talk about it out loud, point out that it's happening and it's going to happen more. Um, but unfortunately, we, 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 I mean, look, there's some good things about about what's good. This is, some of the silver lining is that the world is united with the possible exception of China. And even they, you know, they're just abstaining at the U.N. right now. They're not voting with the Russians. The only people voting for the Russians are the North Koreans at this point. So the world is united that you can't behave the way Putin is. But now that this is underway, how do we back him out? And I don't have a good answer. Yeah, but think of it. All of a sudden, the people that we had vilified before, the Ayatollahs, Iran, evil, evil. Now, all of a sudden, gee, we really ought to make nice to them, get more of their oil, Maduro and Venezuela, we have indictments against him and his cronies for importing drugs into uh, the United States. Now, all of a sudden, we're making overtures for him because he has oil. And the Saudis, again, they won't even answer, apparently, according to reports, President Joe Biden's phone calls. So we have a habit in our history of hating you. And then when we need you, all of a sudden, oh, you're really not all that bad. So... I tend not to believe our propaganda or their propaganda. I like to hear everybody's side and then make decisions for myself because we've been down this road before in Iraq. And, boy, we all got bamboozled and lied to. We're still looking for those weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And Saddam Hussein, our friend, and he's our enemy, our friend, our enemy. And I'm saying to myself, we'd be a hell of a lot better right now if Saddam Hussein was still in Iraq based on all the chaos we created there. You know, to to say that alliances change in the world stage is fairly obvious. I mean, look at our relationship with the Germans right now. Of course they do. And we want them to. We want countries who do bad things to change the way they do things. Countries that do things that aren't in the U.S. national interest, we want them to change and do things that are in their interest. That should not be that should not be a surprise. There are even moments in, in our history that we got along very well with the Russians. But that doesn't change the fact. I, I, I always, it gets under my skin, though, when you say I want to hear from both sides and then I'll make up my mind propaganda from both sides. No, it's quite different when you're in a country that has a free press, when they're a country that has a legislature, when you're in a country that has a, a court system. You know, yes, you can, you can listen to what people say, but Putin lies. I mean, as much as we say that American politicians lie, with the possible 
I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into a conversation about Trump, but for the most part, they're saying what they believe is true. They're, they're saying what they believe bolsters their argument. I have heard people all week long um, on this on this station say, uh, Joe Biden stopped the, the, the Keystone Pipeline. There's already a Keystone Pipeline. What this is is an additional spur that a private company wants to build. And it's not going to increase one drop to the amount of oil that there is, just how quickly they can get from point A to point B. And they want to go through private lands. They want to go through Indian reservations. And they want to go through indigenous people's lands. Well, I'll give you so, a perfect example. A perfect example. Uh, we're chastising Putin because he's not referring to this as a war. He's uh, talking about some kind of military action. That's his terminology. We have still never referred to the Vietnam War or the Korean War as a war. It was a police action, according to us. Now, you tell me the definition of a war. We lost 40,000 people in Korea. We lost close to 65,000 people in Vietnam. And we still refuse to call that a war after so many years. We called it a police action. That's not, that's not true. You go to the State Department website today, they refer to the Vietnam War. You, you stop to someone on the corner, he'll say it's the Vietnam War. I don't know what, what you're saying. Yes, Putin is doing propaganda. I'm just saying that to call what the United States president or the United States Congress or a newspaper says in the United States – as, as propaganda for the United States is just not right. Now, I will say this. I don't know what's going on on the ground in Ukraine, but I know a lot better than the people in Russia do. I mean, the New York Times has reporters there. The Russian, Russian media is prohibited from reporting it. That's a different thing. I mean, you could say the New York Times is liberal on the editorial page or whatever it is, but we have journalists who are risking their lives to get that information. That's not something that the people in Russia are getting right now. So I, I just think you've got to be careful. I mean, I, I don't I don't believe that everything the United States does does is perfect. I don't I'm not surprised that in 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 that when the the Vietnam War was going on there were euphemisms that were used around it. The government wanted to encourage Americans to support it. This is a war that's going on and it was a war in Vietnam. Well, we talked about how corporations are being told American corporations to leave Russia and many of them have. We've seen Coca-Cola, we've seen Mickey D's, we've seen Starbucks other companies. But there is one company it makes $2 billion a year there. They cannot withdraw from Russia because the people are addicted to the product. And if they actually did so, that might lead to the insurrection that could lead to the downfall of Vladimir Putin. Now, I know everybody is scratching their head and saying, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, when we return, I will explain at length what the Russians thought was an American attempt through the CIA to indoctrinate them, but because now they have such a developed desire to have this product at least twice a week, they are hopelessly addicted to it. Hmm. Now, if that doesn't intrigue you, nothing will. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right. If you miss this appointment radio every Saturday from 2 to 4, remember you can share it with others on the podcast at wabcradio.com with all the many other great podcasts. You can get it on the app where you could hear it all over the world, crystal clear, and naturally on the stream of your computer system. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station. 77 WABC. 
Anthony Weiner, city kid from Brooklyn, who went on to be a city councilman in Brooklyn and a congressman representing parts of Brooklyn and Queens. You remember where you were in 1994, 1994? Well, I was was representing Sheepshead Bay, a little bit of Brighton Beach, Manhattan Beach, some of Flatbush in the New York City Council as a young city councilman at the time. I remember where I was. Yeah, sure. I had been fired here at WABC, which was not my place to be with Lisa when we were angels in the morning. And immediately I went to work, believe it or not, for all places, WNYC, public radio in New York City, forced on them by Rudy Giuliani. But I had a trip to Mother Russia at the time. And they decided, gee whiz, it'd be great if Curtis would have broadcast right from Moscow itself. And I ended up uh, meeting the Guardian Angels in Berlin, some of them who had learned... uh, uh, Russian, uh, because they grew up in East Berlin, and we took the train all the way across through Poland, through Belarus, into Moscow, and I was broadcasting from there. And when I was in Gorky Park, which is Central Park in Moscow, there were trucks and trucks, and people were giving away free stuff. And remember, at this point, it was just after Glasnost, Perestroika, uh, Gorbachev had left, Boris Yeltsin was in, the oligarchs were taking everything in Russia. And America was giving out Snicker bars Mm. and Mars bars free. Everyone became addicted to this stuff because, as you know, you eat enough of them, you get addicted. They had debates in the Duma, which is their part of the uh, their form of the parliament, in which is this the way America is trying to control the thinking process and the orientation of Moscovites and eventually Russians by giving away free Snickers and Mars bars. It now costs 50 cents. An average Russian makes about $100 a month. They'll, they'll buy like two bars a week, and they are hopelessly addicted to it. So Mars Company, which makes $2 billion alone in Russia because of the addiction, is still open for business. If we were to tell Mars you cannot export Snickers or Mars bars any longer to the addicted Russians, I guarantee you Vladimir Putin would be toppled within two weeks to a month. There would be insurrection in the streets. They'd have the chocolate revolution, you think? Absolutely. All right. I mean, it's hard for people to understand how you can cause an addiction in a, a group of people who never had that before. They had their own forms of chocolate. But once they were introduced to Mars bars and especially Snickers, it was over. They were ours. But we never took advantage of that situation. They had commercials when I was there. Top flight, billboards everywhere, Snickers, Mars. And they're still doing business in Russia. Notice we haven't put an embargo on them to do business in Russia. Yes, but they, but we have. It has had an effect because the the blood sugar level of the Russian soldiers is now infected by years of eating those Snickers bars. And how did this relate to your visit there? Did you were you an agent of the U.S. government? Were you there with suitcases full of, of candy bars, introducing them to new stuff? No, actually, I was there to start Guardian Angels in Moscow. They were having problems in the suburbs because of drugs. Remember, drugs being brought back from Afghanistan that it caused a whole new generation to get addicted to injecting heroin, using heroin, snorting heroin, smoking heroin. I actually saw uh, evidence of that in a lot of the parks and the public places. We never were able to get off the ground, though, because we had a meet uh, with the uh, the mayor. And the mayor was, was hopeful about this. It's a good idea because apparently they had had this years and years ago under a different name many, many years ago. The first thing he said is, uh, before I can meet with you through his chief of staff, uh, you'll have to make a $10,000 contribution uh, to the city uh, for our uh, benefit. You know, we're doing capital improvements. I said, I don't have 10 tents. 
said, okay, go meet with the police. Met with the police. They couldn't be nicer. They're driving me around. And they say, see those guys? They have bandit faces. What do you mean bandit faces? They're criminals. How do you know they're criminals? You talk about profiling. They're from Azerbaijani. They're from Georgia. They're from Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan. And they had to show papers to the police because if you're in Russia itself, Russia proper, you are not considered true Russian. If you were from the outlying satellite areas at that time, you had to show paperwork. Or they could stop you, talk about stop a question and frisk, and lock you up on the spot for having not properly identified yourself. But imagine they used terms that said they have a bandit face. Well, what do you mean they have a bandit? See, they're going to commit crime. Man, that was as hardcore profiling as I ever saw I in my so. life. I guess so. I mean, but I'm glad we had we had you there as our as our embassy. You because you are nothing if not diplomatic. Oh, I, I mean, had when, to be, I had when to be, people the first adjective they think of when they think of her to Sliwa is diplomatic. I but. had to be diplomatic. We were staying at the Gorbachev Hotel, brand new, all marble. Nobody was in there, no electricity. The Italians and Brazilians were on the roof because they were doing the installation at that time. It was World Cup. Remember, this was the Wait, year I, of the well, shootout. Hold on a second. There was no electricity in the hotel? No, there was no electricity at the time. They were like, just fixing it up, trying to put the electricity in, <laughs> the Italians and, and the Brazilians. And that's where they put you They, they put, they you put up. me, right, and the guardian All angels. Right. And so they're watching World Cup uh, upstairs on the roof. They're screaming and hollering and yelling because it was, remember, the, the shoot-off. And uh, Brazil won, and an Italian engineer dived off the roof. Hold on, hold on. I, now, far be it for me to slow up your story, but... I thought they had no electricity. No, they didn't have electricity. How are they watching the World Cup? From the roof? From like, from, were they playing it down on the street? What, how were they watching the World satellite. Cup? Satellite. Satellite. They had their little satellite. What, did they have some guy pedaling? What, there was no electricity? I have no idea. I hate soccer, uh, kickball, fake, phony, fraudulent uh, uh, football that you spell with a U. I love smash, uh, smash mouth American football. But one of the Italian engineers was so impaired by, by them losing to Brazil in the World Cup, he jumped off the roof. He splatted right down in front of the hotel, and it took, like, the police six hours to get there while we were standing around putting a blanket over this poor guy, and he'd already died. But it's not the kind of policing uh, that you would think of in the United States. I can, I can assure you on that. I didn't even know where to start with this. So there was a guy who jumped off the roof of your hotel while you were visiting because he was watching a war- hotel. Because he was Italian. And let me just get the geography set here. You're in you're in Moscow? Central Moscow. You're in Central Moscow. Right. A Braz- and an irate Brazilian who had whose whose countrymen had lost to Italy. No, no, it was jumps the Italians off the, who uh, lost uh, in the shootout. Uh, forgive me. Jumps off a roof in front of a bunch of New Yorkers dressed in red berets. No, all uh, German guardian angels plus myself. They, they don't wear red? Yeah, yeah, same, same. Okay, but I'm saying oh, okay, Germans plus an plus an American yes. guy. That is a story. I got to tell you, something. your stories, man. I I don't. It, uh, they're they're things. They're works of art. They're theaters of the mind. A little bit. Very you know. good. Very good, Anthony. Yeah. We did. Except I'm learning. This is all true. And then I couldn't understand why would you kill yourself because your team lost in in the uh, shootout at the end of the World Cup game that had been tied between Brazil. Well, and this Italy. is not the subject that you had intended to raise, but I always wonder why when people win big championships, their instinct is to go out on the streets of their town and break stuff. That's the strangest. I mean, all right, maybe losing teams a little bit. I get the idea that they're upset. 
But why do the winning teams always have the? We don't really have that in New York. We don't. We never do that. I don't know why. We're. I guess because we're we're blowing off steam all year round. We don't need a special occasion. Well, the to best do it. one remember was Detroit when all of a sudden they won the World Series unexpectedly coming back. And they had a riot as a result of that. Like, they burnt down half of southwest Detroit as a result of the Detroit Tigers winning the World Series. I mean, they do. you see it every year. Like, a Final Four team, the college campus will erupt in violence because you want to be. It's always a strange I can't get my mind around but why in Europe, But in Europe, you notice they have battles with soccer teams where they'll travel from country to country. They'll have total all-out gang wars afterwards between the gangs that came with one team and the gangs that the came hooligans, with the other team. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. That's a that's a big thing. Well, anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Up next, we got to talk about to give them the MIGs or not to give them the MIGs, to impose a no-fly zone or not to impose a no-fly zone. Polls suggest that 71% of Americans want the president of the United States to go along with uh, putting in a no-fly zone. And I'm sure that percentage is going to go up and up as we watch more of the carnage from the front lines in Ukraine. Yeah, we definitely have to talk about that. We also, and, uh, you know, you were on on with Sid and Bernie this week. So was I. My interview was a little bit choppy. Um, You know, I was on with We'll talk about it later because I have some some stuff. I've gotten a lot of calls and texts about that interview. and And we also, as I said... We've got to talk a little bit. I know an intervention, you, you're, the, usually the patient is not aware is going to happen. We're letting you know right here on our program um, that we have to have this intervention for you. You've got to get over the Eric Adams fixation that you have because uh, he's doing an excellent job. And, and you're, you, you, the election's over. You did better than anyone expected. You didn't have a fraction of his money. You didn't have a fraction of the media exposure that he had. And you did remarkably well, but it's over. You know, you know what you to... sound like, uh, Anthony Weiner. You sound like Eric Adams in the debate with me, who gave Bill De Blasio a B plus. He's doing excellent. Crime is up, worse than it's ever been. But we'll, we'll discuss okay. that later on in the show. Right, snap out of it. Going to give him an A plus, <laughs> uh, A A minus. Yeah, I'll go give him my grade a little bit later. But your grade, <laughs> your grade is over. You're, you're you graduated. You got your diploma. You got to leave school already. Right here with Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right. It's Appointment Radio every Saturday from two to four, exclusively here on seven seventy AM WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. On New York's News and Talk Station, 77 WABC. Anthony Weiner, as Americans watch the carnage over in the Ukraine, uh, day 17 of the pounding that the Ukrainians are taking uh, at the hands of the Russians as they're encircling uh, most of their major cities. Uh, It seems to me, just from uh, the polls I've observed, Americans increasingly are getting more jingoistic, they're flexing. They want to give uh, the Ukrainians the MiGs uh, that Poland wanted to transfer to them through us. And more importantly, against the wishes of the president of the United States and his administration, they want to impose a no-fly zone. Seventy-one percent in the most recent poll, and I'm sure those numbers will go up. 
uh, your your feelings on those those two issues. Well, you know, we were talking about euphemisms earlier. You know, calling something a police action when it's actually war. No fly zone is means going to war with Russia. Um, no fly zone means being prepared to shoot down R- Russian aircraft over Ukraine, and also taking out air defenses. The air defenses for the Russian air defenses for Ukraine are in Russia. So the notion of a no-fly zone means you believe that the United States should engage in war with Russia. And then when you put it that way, polls flip. Then it's 70 percent say you should not. And so it's, it, we have to be careful. That, you know, polling during these moments is, is, is a, a delicate business because, you know, it's funny. It seems like everyone who is an expert on COVID the last you know, year and a half now has become an expert on geopolitics now. You know, everyone seems to know everything about about that region. And I'm kind of guilty of it, too. I learn a lot about the challenges, you know, about the, the history of, of these regions only after it's um, only after we're engaged in some kind of military engagement in these places. But make no mistake, if you believe that we should enforce a no-fly zone, it means being in a position that we're in dogfights and shooting into Russian territory to take out their air defenses. That's a bad idea. And I think that Joe Biden's right to, to say that that's a non-starter. All right, but what about the MiG jets? Remember, Poland jumped the gun. They said, hey, we'll transfer the MiG jets to an air base, American air base in, uh, uh, in Germany. Germany. Uh, they'll be retrofitted and then given to Ukrainian pilots who can then fly them into combat and just start strafing those tanks that we can see lined up for miles and miles and miles in certain portions uh, of the Ukraine, the Russian tanks. Uh, your feelings on that? I think it has the same problem. The fundamental problem is it's the United States inching into a place where it's not operating in a defensive posture, which is what NATO is to defend. That's why, you know, we spent we've spent close to as I said earlier about close to a billion dollars in sending aid to the Ukrainians. A lot of it is in the form of military hardware, but defensive hardware, ability to shoot down planes on their own, ability to pierce tank armor, things like that. These are defensive things. I think that it, that we have to be very, very careful in tiptoeing up to the line that it looks like we are engaging in armed conflict with Russia, something that Biden has said steadfastly we should not be doing. And I think most Americans, when they sit quietly and think it through, would agree. We don't want to be in a war in Europe with with the Russians. And that would be as close as you'd come. And by the way, most of the NATO countries agreed with that assessment. I get the instinct, though. I mean, this whole idea of watching watching people be annihilated like this by a by a bully country when we're so powerful. I understand the instinct, but that's why we need good judgment. And I think so far, um, President Biden has shown the best the best judgment is about every turn. He's handled this about as well as it could be. It's not a great position to be in when you're dealing with one country encroaching on the territorial uh, boundaries of another. But I think he's handled it well. All right. Soon there'll be three million refugees who have left the Ukraine and that will increase exponentially each and every day as the Russians close in uh, closer and closer to the major urban areas. What do we do with these refugees? Do we as America say, okay, Europe, you can sort of be a place where they first uh, get uh, normalized again, where they sort of get their feet on the ground, they get some clothes, uh, they get good meals, uh, they get some housing, and then you can transition them right into the United States. How would a process like that work if, in fact, that was at all feasible? Because right now, every country seems to have open arms uh, to the Ukrainians, unlike uh, what they had uh, for the other refugees who were fleeing Libya, a war we created, Syria, a war we participated in, 
and then other conflicts that have taken place around the country, uh, excuse me, around the world, like uh, in the Balkans. Yeah, well, a lot of the people in our southern border that people rail against and say that we've you know put them in cages, these are people who are refugees as well. Look, I think what we should do is we should do our part. These, these, you know, there's an ocean between us and those refugees. This is fundamentally going to be a challenge Europe has to face. I think that we should provide aid as we have. I think that we should devote our philanthropy to trying to find ways to, to situate these people, at least in the short term. And we should do our part. We have been over the course of history, as you've talked about in past shows, we in New York City have been a place that many refugees from that part of the world have come. And this city would not be the same without them. I can't imagine us not taking in those the former refuseniks and then later on the emigres after the, the, the fall of the, of the Iron Curtain. Um, this has been a remarkable boon for New York City. And these refugees are in need. My great-grandparents came here in a similar circumstance. Your, your mishpoka came here in, in similar circumstances. We have to do what we can, but fundamentally it's going to be a European problem. All right. With the refugees, there uh, I mean – I can't tell you. There are thousands uh, of uh, solicitations that are going now uh, out to uh, members of the American public, no matter where they are. Send money, send money. And, you know, Americans, they love to send money. Uh, They see a problem on TV unfolding, they send money. Done this consistently. Uh, Haitian uh, relief uh, when there was the earthquakes. Earthquake in Mexico, there was relief. Black Lives Matter, uh, the summer of 2020. People were just throwing money at these groups only to learn later on that a lot of the money didn't go exactly where they had hoped it would go to the actual victims of uh, the problems itself. And now I'm looking at some of these people who are over there looking to fundraise, and I'm saying, oh, my God. And for the first time, Tish James, the attorney general, and I stand to be corrected, but she actually issued a warning uh, because they monitor all nonprofits and said, be careful of who you send money to. Because there are going to be a lot of people looking to take advantage of your generosity, of your willingness to help all of these refugees. And let's face it, Anthony, uh, when you deal in that part of the world, Eastern Europe, there are a lot of crooks, a lot of crooked folks who immediately will set up and say they'll set up some tents and they'll claim, oh, I'm an NGO. We're going to help these refugees flooding in from the Ukraine. People have got to fully research the organizations they're sending their hard-earned money to so that they can make sure that most of that money actually goes to the people who should be receiving all of this help as they transition, uh, either at a point where they're eventually going to go back or where they're either going to stay in their host country or come to the United States or Canada or Australia or other parts around the world. But, boy, be extraordinarily careful because the ripoff artists, they're like piranha out there looking to raise money that will never be seen. Well, we'll just disappear. And there's no way you can oversee it because it's an international effort. Yeah. I mean, let's not leave people with the wrong impression. For the most part, organizations that are set up to do this, particularly the ones that have been around um, for uh, for a long time, do do amazing work. And people should be encouraged. Americans, as you said in, in the introduction to the subject, are remarkably generous people in spirit. People want to do more than just put a note on their Facebook page. They want to find something to they want to try to try to do something. Um, and for the most part, organizations do a good job on it. But you're exactly right. This is a time that people take advantage. I got, uh, you know, a, I got a, a spam text from an organization, you know, saying, you know, text this number and send uh, send us money in. Uh, and Tish James, um, Tish James put uh, put a, a, a list out. I don't know if she if she uh, uh, put out a list of the ones that are approved for New York State. 
But there are organizations that are out there. There's something called the International Rescue Committee, which is run by David Miliband, the former, I want to say, the former foreign secretary of the, of the United Kingdom, that uh, is exists all year round to, to deal with this problem. They were dealing with the problem of, of refugees around the Syrians as well. People should contribute, but you're exactly right. They've got to be careful. Oh, yeah, research it fully. Look, these organizations, if they're legitimate, they have a track record. They have a place where you can uh, go and see their resume and you can cross-check. People are sending a lot of money. I mean, people who have wealth, sending millions and millions of dollars. And you want to make sure that that goes to the right folks who are desperately in need as they flee. Now, speaking of the right folks, what do you do about Iran? Because in the midst of all of this, the Biden administration is trying to finalize a deal with the Ayatollahs in which the Russians are a participant. Uh, other member nations in the world are a participant in trying to rein in the Iranians so that they will never develop a nuclear weapon themselves. And the Russians have said, you can count us out. This this negotiation goes nowhere because we're we're pulling out uh, because of what the way Russia has been being treated by the international community. So without the Russians participating in the other countries who are all part of that pact. You can't have a pact with the Ayatollahs and the Iranians. Well, this is the this is the problem with walking away with, from the Iran nuclear deal. The great success of Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State is getting the Russians and the Chinese to agree. See, it doesn't help if just the United States says we're not going to buy your oil or we're not going to buy your resources. If there are other countries that pour the money in, they don't care where it comes from. Um, and so now that we're out of the of the nuclear deal, now we don't really have good ways to constrain the Iranians. Where I thought you were going to go is, you know, since we decided you – know, when, when we decided we're not going to import Russian oil and national, natural gas, that was a sacrifice that we're going to make. But it's not nearly as much – you know, it's about 7, 8, 9 percent of what we wind up using comes into that big pool that c- comes from, from Russia. And so how do you deal with that without having too much impact on U.S. consumers? Well, one is you can reduce consumption. I mean that's part of what the environmental movement is about is trying to keep those carbons in the ground. Another is to backfill from some other sources. There's only bad dudes that have oil in the world that we that we don't have. I mean, obviously, the United States is the is the largest uh, um, the l- largest uh, uh, reserves, uh, the l- largest producer right now. But you've got this the the Saudi Arabians. They're bad people. Their money has been going to export terrorism. You've got the Iranians. We know we've talked about them. You've got the Venezuelans. You mentioned earlier. They sit on the we, largest pool of untapped oil in the Western Hemisphere. We have to go. To these, we have to try to figure out ways to persuade those people to pump more. But don't misunderstand; those countries are perfectly happy with the status quo. They don't mind having having oil prices go up. They've been through a really tough period during COVID when no one was driving or flying anywhere, where the prices were really depressed. So I don't think we're going to get much help from them. But you can't blame the administration for saying, "Listen, let's go. We should go try to get help wherever we can." And the argument that they're making is, "Listen, guys." This, what the Russians are doing, is bad for everyone. If people are going to start, if stronger countries are going to start marching into in, into weaker countries, left and right, it's bad for everybody. And also the Venezuelans do want to try to figure out ways to, to, to soften the problems that they've had with the United States. Being in a perpetual battle with the United States is not good politics in Venezuela either. So who knows? Maybe – Maybe having common enemies or maybe having common interests will will improve some of our relationships with these countries. But I'm not optimistic they're going to do anything to help us with this problem. They want high oil prices. Yeah, and by the way, uh, isn't it interesting? Our enemies today become our friends tomorrow because it's all about natural gas. It's all about petroleum and petroleum products. 
And again, whatever propaganda we want to put out there, how do we justify all of a sudden doing business with Venezuela that we have said we tried to uh, overthrow their leaders twice? Hugo Chavez, Maduro, we say evil, they're drug dealing, they're a nemesis to the Western Hemisphere, a threat to us. And all of a sudden, what do we come out and say, hey, all is forgiven, all is forgotten because they're going to pump more oil no, it's, and it's going to come to it's, us? It's the, it, it, it's what I said earlier. It's hard to think of a country in the world that we haven't had both good, bad, and in-between relations over the course of time. That's that's what happens. Very often in moments of, of war and moments of international turmoil – Strange bedfellows are created. I mean, all of the players that you've talked about, we've had weird relationships with over time. Now, one consistent thing in all of it, though, is our reliance on oil and our reliance on hydrocarbons in general has made it that we've had to capitulate to the Saudis, to the Russians, even to those in Latin America. It's bad. Our wars in the Middle East, all of it gets more complicated. And so when people say, oh, yeah, drill, baby, drill, more and more use of oil and and, 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 and let's get rid of all these environmental things, even if you don't believe the science that we're saving the earth by doing it, we're saving our own interests by doing it. If you are a true conservative, that means not having this type, having to buy from your enemies anything. And that doesn't mean and, – and, and one of the ways to do that, sure, you can try drilling more and more and more, but there's a lots, lots of untapped, uh, untapped wells here in the United States. The question is, isn't it best if we become reliant on U.S. forms of, of energy in, and they're not the ones well, that well, we drill in the ground? Conservatives believe in not paying uh, taxes uh, at the incredible rate that we do, and yet taxes go up at the pump when the price of a gallon goes up. And states are very reluctant to uh, declare an amnesty to state taxes, as is the federal government, uh, because they do get so many taxes from the pump. Uh, If you were a congressman, again, representing constituents, would you be lobbying uh, the governor to uh, repeal temporarily that – that's that uh, gas tax that's on every gallon it's pumped here. Murphy, you know, they raised their prices uh, a while back because of the taxes. Uh, Likewise, should he – uh, sort of have a holiday from the hey, state Hey, by the tax? way, it used to be when you drove, and I only did this recently, You, when you drive into New Jersey, the gas prices are much cheaper. They're not anymore. Is that because they used to not have a gas tax and now they do? That is correct. Uh, Chris Christie decided they had to increase that gas tax to well, pay I thought for they had. The, they might have had none at one point. Almost that, none. They yeah, were like yeah. number two in the because country. Because now when I drive over and take the Palisades North, it's not that much cheaper, and it, it, I mean, it's basically the same price as New York. Is that, that that's why exactly? It is, and know. not only that, you have to have somebody pump your gas. You can't pump your gas yourself. Then. Yeah, yeah. I, look, in, in answer to your question, I don't think these so-called tax amnesties do all that much. I don't think it increases or decreases the amount that people drive. I don't think that having taxes go down in a particular in a particular moment for a short period of time has any real real effect. And remember, the reason that you have these these taxes are more like use taxes than anything else. The, the 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 gas tax supports our subways here. The gas tax supports our buses here. The gas tax supports our roadways and our traffic repairs and things like that. So I don't think taking money away from those things does anything that well. That, that when important. we return uh, with the midterm elections getting closer and closer by the day. What's the message uh, to Democrats uh, who may lose the House as prices begin to skyrocketing? Uh, The price of oil goes up, barrel of oil. Now we're going to see all the commodities go up from the grocery store to the supermarkets, uh, on and on. With Anthony Weiner here on the left, yours truly, Curtis Lee, we're here on the right. It's 77 a.m. WABC. 
It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station. Still nothing. Still, the tomato can. Nothing. Nothing. But now, Anthony, quick question. Uh, because of the price of a uh, barrel of oil going up, and it keeps going up, uh, all other prices are going up 10% or more. Your basics, your milk, your bread, uh, your meats, your poultry, your fish, all your basics, uh, price of new housing going up. Everything is attached to uh, the price of a, a barrel of oil. This affects the Democrats uh, before their midterm election. Uh, how do they run for office or defend their position when you know the Republicans are just going to use that as the number one issue? How much money people are having to pull out of their pocket or pocketbooks? Yeah, it's very difficult to run at a time of high inflation or any kind of economic up- upheaval. That's what war brings. That's I mean, I mean the the economic devastation that was rocked by by COVID was one of the reasons that Donald Trump didn't get reelected. Um, also, years of gross incompetence. But I, I think it's, it's going to be tough. I think, I think it's going to be a really tough period for the Democrats. I think that um, one thing we are seeing is this leadership effect of Biden's approval going up slightly as the, his handling of, the, of this, this war and, and, and standing up to Putin and figuring out the right, the right ways to organize the international community. But it's going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. I, I heard John Katzmatidis on uh, this week with Maria Bart- Bartiromo talk about inflation going into double digits and the price of oil going up even more, and he ought to know, uh, I, it's, going to be, it, it's going to be bad. Now, I, my hope is that, that folks listen to shows like this and others and understand that, look, prices were, going, were, were spiking anyway. Whenever you, you – know, remember, you're, you're going, we just came a period out of COVID where there was a very slow economic activity, and now you look at the streets here outside our studios here at WABC. Things are hopping again. People are starting to get back to work. Um, um, uh, uh, the the stock market is has been crazy this week, but it's it's going up. Job creation is on the up. Um, wages are on the up. So, th- but you are exactly right. It's as, if I was a an incumbent running for re-election this year as a Democrat, I would be prepared for a storm. Either that, or seeking a new career path, maybe hanging wallpaper, or moving down a book or a tone the sixth borough of the city of New York. Now, polling we're going to be talking about up next. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Cuomo is 3-4% behind Hochul in the most recent Emerson College poll. And that's after spending uh, close to $2 million on his advertising campaign. Then this poll that said uh, amongst the American people, Joe Biden's acceptability is at 45%. But most still say he's not sharp enough to lead. Now, how do you mix one number with the other number if you're giving him good marks at 45% for leading? but saying he's not sharp enough to lead. I mean, that doesn't spell well for Joe Biden continuing and potentially seeking a second term in office. Yeah, I'm always skeptical of these. There are a couple of questions that are good indicators. You know, is he a good leader is usually a pretty good indicator of whether someone's going to vote for him. But polling his approval rating is interesting, but it's really until you get to a point where you're trying to learn, is he going to get reelected? I think he is going to be, but it's going to be very dependent on who who the Republicans nominate. If the Republicans nominate Donald Trump, that seems to be, in the polling I've seen, the one Republican that Biden can beat. 
and the one Republican that he already beat. Um, but I think that if you're the Republicans, a couple of things have to happen. One, you have to win Congress this year, but not by so much that you can have all the infighting and incompetence. Like you have to be able to lead. You have to be able to do something. The, the rhythm is traditionally the in-president in his first midterm loses seats, but then he gets reelected. Now, why is that? It's because once the out party becomes the in party and controls Congress, suddenly the president has someone to blame. Right now, he has to blame Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, and that doesn't look very good. So um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of twists and turns. I think that Joe Biden's doing a good job. I have to tell you, I watched the State of the Union address. I thought he didn't do very well. Then I turned on some of the commentary and looked at some of the polling after the American people disagreed with him. They thought he did great. I mean, so I'm not really terribly concerned about what the polling is. Now, the Cuomo thing is fascinating. We're gonna, I think we're going to talk about that a little oh, later. Oh, yeah. That is fascinating Well, notice all the experts who said he's dead, he's not Lazarus, he, he won't rise from the dead. They get one poll from Emerson College after he does his advertising blitz on TV, about $2 million worth. And all of a sudden, they're, they're like born-agains. They're newborn converts. Oh, my God, he could win this gubernatorial election. And I'm saying, why should we even bother listening to experts at all? They were wrong about Putin going to war in the Ukraine. They were wrong about the Russians' military preparedness. They've been wrong on almost everything. And let's face it, when it's come to politics, most of them have been wrong as prognosticators about what was going to transpire on our political scene, and especially when it comes to somebody like Andrew Cuomo and his resurrection from Elba Island, better known as the Hamptons out there, where you know, as I know Cuomo, He's itching to get back in it to win it. Yeah, let's uh, let's be careful here. I mean, look, you he put he's on the air advertising his product with no one advertising against him. He as I said, we've talked about this before. As I said, he was going to he was going to put himself in a position to be able to 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 be able to run again. You know, when we get back, we should talk about whether what a real race would look like, because it's not going to be just doing one hand clapping with him advertising and driving his poll numbers up. Someone's going to be pushing back. And Anthony Weiner says he's going to do an intervention with me because I hate Eric Adams in his first eight weeks for not doing anything about the crime problem. So Come back to us, Curtis. You're going to have Come to, back to teach us, me to hug and love Eric it's Adams. It's going to be okay. Not but you'll give it a try. You can knock yourself out, Anthony Weiner. And the rest of you, obviously, are free to weigh in. 1-800-848-9222. Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly on the right, right here exclusively at WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. On New York's news and talk station, 77 WABC. Uh, it's intervention time, Anthony Weiner. You've been down this road twice before, having run for mayor and uh, not completing the cycle uh, on either occasion. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, run for mayor, completed the cycle, and lost to Eric Adams. And then our own owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, himself in 2013, uh, ran in the Republican primary uh, to become mayor of the city of New York. So between the three of us, we've all had those experiences at various uh, levels. Uh, but after uh, eight weeks, leading uh, soon, uh, by April 1st, it will be three months, uh, which is the end of the, the honeymoon to me, the honeymoon period. Uh, you feel, uh, as some others do, that I've been uh, too over the top 
in my criticism uh, of Eric Adams as our new mayor of the city of New York? Well, you know, there's a well-tried and well-worn path uh, to help those dealing with trauma to get over it by having their friends gather together in a circle in a quiet space with some melodic music in the background. And we all go around the room and we tell you that that we love you and we care about you. We think you ran a great campaign, but it's time to to let go, to move on, to go walk towards the light, to to go back to doing the great works you're doing on behalf of the city of New York, on behalf of the Guardian Angels, on behalf of the Republican Party and remaking the Republican Party in your red image. Uh, I mean, but it really came to a head when you were on with Bernie and Sid this week. And anyone wants to go back and listen to it. It was Wednesday were you on? What day were you on? Yeah, it was uh, – no, actually, it was Thursday, I believe. Thursday. Thursday can go back and No, listen. no, Wednesday. Excuse me. You Wednesday. can go back and listen to the podcast version of the show, which is every day is posted. Bernie and Sid, as you know, have the, the number one rated uh, morning show in, in the whole city. And you were at that early morning hour, and most of us are just rubbing the sandman out of our eyes, having a morning cup of coffee, looking forward with optimism to the day. You were having something similar to what it looked to be a seizure of, of anger and resentment towards – Mayor Adams, and even Sid, who's no shrinking violent himself in his criticism of, of Mayor Adams, said it might be time for you to move on. And I think we need to have something resembling a, a meditation circle, a prayer circle, or an intervention. Look, you say that it's coming to the end of his honeymoon. When did he have a honeymoon for you? You were criticizing him from the very word go. And I think you're not acknowledging that he is putting on a completely different face of the mayor, of, of the position of being mayor from what de Blasio did. He's out there every day as a cheerleader for the city. He's appointed a good team of people around him. He's dealing with the challenges of rebounding from COVID, which we've, we've done very well. He's encouraging people to get back into the workplace by doing it himself. Um, I think that he's doing a good job. It is true that crime is up from a very, very low base. Crime is up all over the country, in big cities, all over the country, even in smaller towns. We are seeing something that is obviously related to the way the economy is, is coming back, the way the, the, the recovery has not been very evenly distributed. Crime is a problem. He is probably the most qualified person, having someone been a police captain, been, been – I think the police respect him. I think it's time for you to acknowledge two things. One, you ran a good campaign, a lot better than a lot of people thought. You won a primary that I think a lot of people handicapped against you. You took on – Forces in the Republican Party that really wanted to stop you. You didn't have a fraction of the money that Adams had. You didn't have a fraction of the resources. I think the the institutional media establishment either ignored you or made fun of you, and, and that's always difficult. And yet you did very well. Now I want you to put it down, walk away, be a good be. be you've got many many good qualities. You've got to get the blood out of your eyes and move on. You and give Mayor Adams a chance to lose your obsession with him. And I think you'll find peace, my brother. I think you'll find peace. Hmm. So I'll, I'll have to stop riding the subways because every time I ride the subways, I see the problems that were supposed to at least be addressed, right? I mean, that was the thought, you know, between Hochul and Adams, they had this specialized team of police officers with uh, mental health care experts uh, and those who do homeless outreach, and they were going to be approaching these men and women and slowly but surely removing them uh, to uh, uh, psychiatric for psychiatric observations or shelter. And yet I go down there every day, every day. And, and these people come up to me and I say, hey, uh, you're here. There's others here. What's going on here? Anthony, this guy was supposed to be the law and order guy. 
Crime went up 200% last week in the subway alone. It's up 60% in the city in just eight weeks. Curtis, Curtis. Give the man, give the man a chance. Give our law enforcement a chance. Give the new commissioner a chance. What do you think is a reasonable period of time to give him to start to get this? Remember, it's eight years of of De Blasio. When, by the way, I find it very interesting as I listen to the different hosts on WABC. Very interesting how they are taking these statistical blips, and then it's up. There's no doubt about it. Where were you beating the drum for how amazingly low crime was under de Blasio, the lowest in, in New York history? Where I, I don't remember. Let's get the tape. Maybe our producer can pull up the tapes of you complimenting de Blasio for how amazing it was in the subways during his administration. Yes, crime was at a very low base. It's coming. It's, it's been rising. It happens to be the exact same time we're coming out of COVID. It's going on all around the country. I think you can make a pretty good argument that crime goes up and down in a certain way around the country to say well, crime was down more in New York City than any other place. We now have a very low base. So when you say something goes up a uh, uh, 200%, that could mean it went from 4 to 12. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. All during the campaign, Eric Adams said, we're going to bring back the anti-crime unit, but we're going to make some changes. The undercover unit, the plainclothes unit. He used those terms. Anti-crime, undercover, plain clothes. Now, he's been teasing us for the past few weeks. Yeah, we're going to have this unit out there. We're going to have this unit out there. Now it appears that it'll be out there probably sometime in April. But it will not be a plain clothes unit or an undercover unit. They will just be wearing a completely different uniform. I saw it. It was like in Catholic school, we used to have what we called uniform day. When you would go in and you would get fitted for your your uniforms for that particular parochial school, the the colors of that school, the tie, the skirts, the whole nine yards. We saw they had uniform day. The cops, the undercover cops were wearing beanies that said NYPD on it. They had a uniform on it that said NYPD. They're wearing badges on the outside. They're wearing cameras. That's not undercover. That's That's not playing close. No, no, that, that, that. he did. He said he was going to restructure those units, which have had a disproportionate number of problems in dealing with the citizens of the city. That was something that needed to be fixed. And I think I even heard you during the during the the election say that you wanted to address those things as well. I guess the point I'm making, and this comes again back to your the real estate between your ears, is that that we have a new mayor. He's going to be there for probably eight years. We've got to give him a little elbow room to try to do. I will say this. Try this thought experiment. If you were a Democratic primary voter, who do you think you would have voted for if crime was your primary issue of concern? Who would you have voted for? Oh, based on all of them running. Uh, many of them were like AOC, all out crazy. Uh, sure, it would have been Eric Adams. Right. And I also think that as it turned out in the general election, you probably met quite a few of your lawnsmen in the Republican Party who says, you know what, if I had to pick a Democrat, and I'm a Republican. If I had to pick a Democrat, because I got a lot of this when I was running in, in, in the Democratic primary, a lot of Republicans would say to me, you know, you'd probably be the guy I'd vote for. You're the, you know, you probably would agree that many of your fellow Republicans saw in him the greatest hope to deal with crime in a smart way because he has some experience from the inside. All I'm saying is that for your mental health, give him a chance here. It's only March. All right, so I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make a little map here. I cannot ride the subways or the city buses because it will drive me out of my mind because crime has actually increased there. i got to stay out of like 75% of the city that I normally populate because crime is on the rise. And I see the thugs 
They're brandishing their weapons. They're, they're putting their nines in the air like they just don't care right in front of me. Wait a minute. Well, you have to decide where you're going to be. Yeah. Curtis, have you seen the schedule at WABC Radio? Yeah. yeah. All you need is that chair. You're on the air so much, basically. You, you can just occupy that chair. And, 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 and I'll have to tell you this. I will patrol the area around that chair to make sure no homeless I, people I, I know. come close I to I know. You. This is where I'll be. I'll just park myself on the Irish Riviera Breezy Point. I'll just stay in Breezy Point. You should be so lucky. You it's, should be uh, so lucky. It's relatively crime-free except for some white-collar criminals that I know live out there, but they wouldn't be impacting on most of the people out there. So I tell you what, I'll just cop a squad out there maybe for a month. I don't think you're eligible for a parking sticker. You might have to walk in. Oh, I'm not Irish. That's right. So the non-Irish need not apply to Breezy Point. I'm limited here. Because I'm a city guy and I'm moving around in the city and I'm not seeing any it's improvements. Safe, it's safe. It's safe on the subways. It's safe on the subway. We 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 have the we have the the, the fearless red, red berets down there patrolling. It's, yeah, they uh, are. They are. But right down the block from you, another attack. That hammer man. Oh no, excuse me. The hammer lady, who attacked that Asian guy, just blocks away from where you live. And oh my God! And you look at the tra- fifty arrests prior to that. You say what? What's going on here? Well, I, I hope that for all the people that complain about crime being up, I hope they're the same people that were giving the NYPD and the leadership of the NYPD and the rank-and-file officers. I hope they were the ones patting them on the back every day. They didn't get mugged over the course of the last statement. See, that's the thing about, about law enforcement, and I would always say this about police officers in this city. No one ever comes up to them and says, hey, I didn't get mugged today. My car radio didn't get stolen today. I want to say thanks for that. But we're realizing now that, um, you know, what, what an accomplishment it was. But by the way, a lot of our listeners at WABC would get this, and you certainly do. I remember cutting my teeth in politics in the early 90s when crime was epidemic, epidemic. And we give um, all the successive mayors credit for bringing it down. But they became such a low base that it was almost unsustainable. A lot of criminologists said, this is ridiculous. We're a city of eight and a half million people, and we have so few of these violent crimes. Uh, let's just hope that, that this is something that can be arrested, no pun intended, with some smart policing, that Eric Adams is the kind of guy that has the, the experience to do that. Plus, it seems like he has the respect of, of the rank and file. Um, give him a chance. Let's give him a chance. Well, you got to get that police commissioner of his out there because I go to the precincts. I go to the transit police precincts, the public housing uh, precincts. They haven't seen her. You haven't seen it. If it if it if she wants to stay behind the scenes, or Eric Adams wants her to be behind the scenes, and he takes the lumps for good and news, good and bad news, more power to you. I don't think most New Yorkers care whether a, a police commissioner is out in front of the cameras or staying at one police plaza doing her job or going out there on patrol. They just want to see. Well, I think the they, men and women in the department would like to see their police commissioner. I, I I'm not going to speak for the men and women in the department. I think it's a little bit of a red herring. I think we want results, right? We want things to get better. The mayor has plans to do it. I think we have to give him a little bit of time. Well, to this get is it my done. suggestion to Eric Adams because obviously he won't return any of my calls. Maybe he will yours, Anthony. He met with Andrew Cuomo for two hours, had dinner. He met with Chris Christie for two hours, had dinner over at Scotto's. He just met with Tom Selleck, did a cameo appearance on Blue Bloods. And no doubt he probably asked Tom Selleck about crime, the fantasy police commissioner of New York City. The one guy who has a track record for driving crime down in New York City is Rudy Giuliani. Why wouldn't he sit with him? I don't know. You think it might behoove him to go to a person who got results? I I have to... Well, yeah, you you left a Blasio off that list, another person that got... Well, he talks to him all the time. ...that got results... I, I think he probably would benefit. Look, one of the things I've, see, I've seen that I'm really impressed with Eric Adams about is that he does not believe 
that past problems are indication of future results, that he believes that people are who they are today and that people and he can learn from a lot of different people. I think it probably w- w- would behoove him to sit down with Mayor Giuliani. But who knows? Maybe maybe Rudy doesn't want to sit down with Eric. I don't, no, I don't no. Know. Rudy had said. I mean, in his maybe he doesn't want to be disloyal to you until you get no. help for your mental illness no, around no, no, Eric no, no, Adams no. being the mayor now. Trust me, trust me for the good of the city, uh, it would uh, benefit Eric Adams and his new police commissioner. Uh, if the both of them were to sit down with Rudy, have maybe a half hour, 45 minute discussion just I, about police. I think I, I, I would agree with that. I don't believe I believe that even your most fervent opponent can give you good ideas. And obviously he's doing that. <laughs> I mean, he met with Cuomo for two hours and Cuomo was never known for his his ability in providing public safety. That wasn't his uh, well, his crime, forte. Well, crime. Crime came to very low levels under Cuomo, too. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the state legislature that you criticize so frequently and, and the governor. You listen, you can't just say you're going to blame people when things go south and then not blame that. Give those same people credit when things are going well. It's just not fair. I mean, if you believe that crime was at a really amazing level under de Blasio, well, the governor was Cuomo at the time. Wow, man, you're going to have to do an intervention for me uh, dealing with Eric Adams, uh, Mayor de Blasio. And former Governor Cuomo, who wants to re-up for another four years, it looks like. But up next, we got to talk about your morning with Sid Rosenberg. Friday morning, right? I was on a Friday, yeah. Two yeah. segments. Why did you get two segments and I only got one segment? Because I am a, I am a trained politician who can pontificate. Well, I was going to say pontificate longer than you, but I think we've seen today that no, that you... You you can. Get, I mean, think I don't, it. it was no. Here's what wound up happening. Are we gonna do it now or should no, we no, do no, it? No, 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 no. We're, we're going to do it because I'm going to give you an opportunity. When I was listening, I said, "Okay, Anthony has his segment, like I had my segment." Then all of a sudden, you got another segment. This, if all the people, Wait, if all the people complaining, they don't have access to the microphones at WABC enough. You're the last person. What does WABC stand for again? Oh, always broadcasting, Curtis. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. our number is 1-800-848-9222. If you missed me on with Sid Rosenberg, uh, it's all on podcast. That's Wednesday morning, that show. And then Anthony Wiener, who was on for two segments on Friday morning. But we'll discuss it with Anthony up next because I'm sure the circumstances were quite different than my circumstance, which was to go right at Sid Rosenberg's jugular. I was right out of the box early in that morning. You know why? Because I came right off the E-Train, which is the moving homeless hotel in New York City. It's the only subway line that does never go above ground from World Trade Center to Jamaica Station. And I saw all the people that I've known over all the years. And I said, haven't they come for you yet? Uh, no, I'm, I'm still waiting. No visits to the shelter. I think Sid should be part of the intervention. We've got to get him in here, too, on that. Yeah, imagine Sid and Anthony Weiner doing an intervention on yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, right here on WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station. 77 WABC. Anthony Weiner, speaking of mayoral runs, uh, had you uh, been able to complete the cycle, you could have beaten Michael Bloomberg in uh, 2009. You were ahead in the polls. Uh, and definitely in 2013 when there was uh, 
an open seat and you were running uh, up against uh, six, seven different Democrats who were heading those polls there. So you might well have been mayor of the city of New York on either occasion. But on uh, Friday morning, it was uh, two boys, two uh, Brooklyn boys uh, from Brooklyn who were sitting down here in the studios of uh, 770 AM WABC. Uh, So you had Sid Rosenberg. Uh, Bernard McGurk uh, was recovering from his week of chemotherapy for the uh, prostate cancer that he has. He usually is able to handle three weeks, and then he's got to take a week off for the chemo that is necessary to keep his cancer in remission. Uh, So what was it like? Uh, Because uh, a lot of people were saying to me, wow, boy, Anthony Weiner was on for not one segment, two segments with Sid. Yeah, well, it was, I got it, it was a, so Sid and I, in, a, in you know that show is deals with politics. They deal with sports. They goof around a little bit, and uh, but Sid and I had you know we've been kidding around about an intervention for you. You know, Sid and I are two Jewish guys from Brooklyn who both experienced rehab, both experienced prison, both were laid down low, and both have you know tried to struggle to come back. And so we spent some of the time, and it got a little bit emotional talking about you know, the path that I've been on and a similar conversation that you and I had for, for a while when I first came on, you know, I've, I've been through a bunch and I have, um, I'm grateful for the chance to come back and to talk about issues again. And there's still a lot of listeners who have every reason to be like, look, I have heard enough of this guy and I have the whole list of things that I've done to, to earn their repute, and uh, I'm still in a process of making amends for those things. But we had the first segment, got a little bit emotional because he was talking about his experiences and I was talking about ours, and we both have kind of the similar cycle, and you experienced this well. You know, at the end of the day, your kids become the center of all of these discussions. You know, how do you get healthy? How do you get back on your feet to make amends to your children and to be there for them? And so that was a pretty heavy thing. And then and then fortunately in the second segment, it got back to where we, we have always been, he and I, where we jousted a little bit about issues. Um, and like my experience with you, back at the old uh, WABC, back in the Cumulus days, that you know there were brief times that I was on their show and I pitched in a little bit, and just like I was with, with you on, on your show. So um, uh, I'm you know, going to try to do more in the future. But the one thing we, we agreed upon is that uh, – you, uh, you're, you know, one fry short of a happy meal, and we need to get you back on the beam here, and uh, <laughs> um, and and that we love you, and we want to we want to save you from yourself, and uh, and hopefully uh, get get over your obsession with Eric Adams. Now, what has it been like, though? You now have had the experience of uh, the attention uh, that has been focused on you. Your return to WABC, doing broadcasts, being interviewed by others. Uh, interviewed on television, interviewed by John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator, Sid Rosenberg, and then obviously our program, Saturdays, from 2 to 4. You're always out in the streets. Uh, You're a guy who takes the subways. Uh, You've never suddenly just disappeared uh, off the the face of the earth. What changes, if anything, have transpired? Well, it's a great question. A couple of people have commented to me that when you're talking about your own experiences and what it was like to go through recovery and what it's like, you know, to deal with a lot of these things. They said you sound different than when you're talking about gas prices or other things, because the second stuff, you know, that's kind of muscle memory. And like I have, I still care about the issues that I've always cared about. Um, The 
the first group of things are things I never talked about honestly. <laughs> when I was going through stuff, the last thing I was doing was being honest. I was deceiving. I was, de- I was assembling. I was trying to keep, stay one step ahead of my scandals, trying to figure out how to dig out of them. But the last thing I w- ever would conceive of doing is being completely honest about it. So it, it's been an experience, and it's been an emotional one, and I'm not really all that good at it yet. Um, but the response from people at this, uh, on the streets has always been the same. It's, it's, it's like a Rorschach test, you know. And you probably experience this yourself because you're so iconic in both your appearance and plus your record in the city. Some people come up to you and they just want to share with you. I was standing on the street in front of this building with you the first week that we had a show and John Katsimatidis was there um, where a woman came up to me and came up to the three of us and started telling you about how important you were in her life and how you had done all these things for her and you represented a certain something. Um, So New Yorkers still talk to me in that way. The difference now is – that people who have really gone through difficult things are very are likely to come up to me and share about them because I have now started to be honest about the things that I've been through. Um, and I know there are also people who come up to me and say how much I let them down. And I have I still have a lot of amends to make. I, I really do, Curtis. I have the, primarily to my to my wife and to my son, but to the people like strangers who come up to me and say, I cast a vote for you. Or, I used to used to represent me in Regal Park. I owe an immense to those people as well, and that's why being on the radio to me is one way to be of service. You know, sometimes you know if I can, in some way, com- continue to be of service to my city in some in some small way by talking about the issues with you, joking from time to time, but being serious where we need to be. Um, that's one of my ways of being service, and so it's been an experience, and I, and I'm still getting my legs under me. And I want to reiterate, all kidding aside. The support that you have been, how helpful you've been in learning all of this stuff, how you've welcomed me back, how John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez and the people here, all the professionals that work to make these shows sound so good, have been really patient with me as I've tried to learn basically a new skill set. And being a radio person is, is not does not come second nature to me like it does to you. Well, as you said, though, you've also changed because you were a radio person. You grew up listening to talk radio, sports talk radio. You were a caller into those uh, programs. You hosted those programs. In fact, uh, before your last venture in which you crashed and burned, you were on with me as we you were substituting for Ron Kuby uh, in the early afternoons uh, for two straight weeks. And you were getting high marks from management. Management saying, wow, this guy's very good. He certainly knows his topics. Uh, at that time, you had a lot of that fire. Remember that fire that was constantly associated with you. Uh, you know, uh, the fire-breathing dragon that you were known to be. Obviously, you've changed a, a bit in, in terms of your posture and the way you address issues. But now, out there in the horizon, is another partner that I had for a full month. A lot of people don't realize I've had more partners in radio than I've had ex-wives, and I've had a lot of ex-wives. For a month, they teamed me up with Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo was in between jobs. You may have remembered that. I remember that. this, yeah. So he hadn't yet decided if he wanted to stick with television because he had just left, uh, I think it was uh, Good Morning America, uh, and he had, uh, there was uh, talk of him possibly uh, going to the evening there on ABC, Nightline, when Nightline was still in effect. And he hadn't yet decided what to do. So our vice president of programming at that time, Disney owned the station, said, hey, uh, well, we'll team you up with Chris Cuomo for a month. We'll see how it goes. Unlike you, he had never really listened to talk radio. He didn't grow up listening to talk radio. And he was still a TV personality. 
So although he was knowledgeable, he had no opinions on anything. So management sat him down and said, Chris, you know, this is heavily opinionated radio, talk radio. you got to have an opinion. I can't because it would jeopardize any opportunity I have to anchor or go on to be a correspondent anywhere because I was trained that you're not supposed to have an opinion. Then you listened to Chris Cuomo just uh, years uh, uh, before there at CNN where he was an opinion every five seconds until all of a sudden he was uh, cast aside, uh, I guess given a a settlement, uh, and now he's in his compound in the Hamptons. I could easily see that potentially happening in the future because, remember, these are people, all of whom, yourself, Chris Cuomo, others, who have had experiences that the average person would never have had with all different types of people or the shot callers, the decision makers, and can tell people exactly how the process works as opposed to how it appears. Yeah, I, and the, so I'm still getting my arms around, Does in order to be good at radio, do you have to yell and scream at the other guy? Do you have to take everything really seriously as if every, every issue, and you have to always agree with your party? If those are the ins- if that's the that's not the radio that I find that interesting. I find it interesting when an issue comes up and you have to kind of wait for a beat to kind of hear where the other guy is going to. And sometimes they'll say something, you know, you know, like very often. I think we are, and this is one of the things that actually frustrates me. You see these split screen interviews on cable news where two guys are yelling at each other, and the Booker would always ask you because I was on these shows. You know, they would say, "What's your position?" And if you said anything along the lines of, I kind of agree with the other guy on 25% of what he's saying, they don't want you on because it's all about the conflict. I think most listeners are smart enough to be able to realize that, you know what, there might be some overlap in the positions on these different things. And it's also not a crime to say, I'm open to the idea that the other guy might be right about this. Oh, this is how the booker or producer might handle it. Anthony, uh, we were hoping you would be our guest. Yeah. And have this position. They would sort of like uh, sort of cast out the suggestion right. that if you wanted to make an appearance, this is the opinion they were looking for. Now, they're not telling you you have to say that. But if you're lens lice like I've been and you've been from time to time where you realize, boy, that's an important appearance. You might play along with them a little bit and see, hmm, let me see if there's any room to move. here. Yeah, but then there's the other thing. When you're a politician, your whole deal is saying how right you are. Right. Like there's no there's no market to be going to your constituents or to the and saying, I might be right. I might be wrong. You know, and I think that sometimes radio hosts have to kind of see that a little bit. It could be that I don't have this wrong. I'm open to getting additional information and and the like. And hopefully at the same time, the listeners getting a little bit of additional. Well, you know, the benefit you have that others might not have who also served in office. You were always an outlier. No, there were people within the Democratic Party who hated your guts. Republicans, look, Peter King, you're now friends with him. Oh, you were the outlier. I've been an outlier my whole Well, but I was an outlier in another way. I remember in 2010, the height of the Tea Party movement when Obamacare was was just passing. There was a memo that went out from Nancy Pelosi, our leader. She was a speaker at the time. 
saying don't go on TV appearances and don't do town hall meetings. Basically, ride this out because they had. Remember the video would come out of like, you know, Democrats getting chased out of town. And I did the opposite. I had eighteen town hall meetings in my yeah, well, in my, in my they district. Were, they were using Saul Alinsky tactics. That's what I was raised on by my father: is disrupt <laughs> the meetings and take over the meetings. Right, but I I I went the other direction, and I would also get the same thing. I got called in about being on Fox News too much. And I would go on radio talk shows. I always believed that going one people one thing that people ask me, you know, from time to time is, you know, why did you settle on at WABC? Not, you know, John Katzbertis is a friend, you're a friend, but to be honest with you, I don't want to be the nineteenth guy on MSNBC doing the one hand clapping. I'd much rather be having a conversation with you that somewhere maybe. Well, I something- think the most memorable moments for me when I realized that you were an outcast. Uh, even to your members of your own party, is you were well in the lead, even before Bernie Sanders, single-payer health care, yeah. single-payer. You were vilified by everybody. Not by No, not by everybody, not by the American people. No, no, not no, by the no, citizens of the city of New York who know it's a great idea. The apparatchiks in the parties. Well, yes and no. I mean, to some degree, I mean, I remember having some tense conversations with my mentor, Chuck Schumer, about it, you know, like, that's not going to happen. Same thing about the public option, you know, trying to, you know, the whole idea that you always have to deal with in politics. Do you want to deal with the reality we have today or do you want to propose something that might change the reality? You might get us to a place that to a better place. I believe in single payer health care. People want to call me a progressive for that. Obviously, my record on crime is quite different. My record on Israel is quite different, et cetera. But I think that these issues are important. Now, sometimes I will admit, and maybe this is something we can explore in, in future shows, Sometimes it takes more than a 30-second back and forth with a caller to, to talk about some of these issues. You know, the issues dealing with Israel in the Middle East, you, you can't just reduce it to a 30-second. Oh, similar second. to debates. How many times? Exactly. Uh, the fiscal problems in New York City. Uh, Eric Adams, you have 60 seconds. Yeah. Mr. Sleewe, you have 30 seconds. So I can't even balance my checkbook and can't explain that within 30 seconds. We're talking about multi-billions of dollars that the city of New you York see, raises and is, spends? See, this is the, the this is a skill set that you would think a, a radio guy would have, but, but you don't. You don't have to train to talk in 30-second bites. Politicians do. We spend our entire lives talking in 30-second sound Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to go from uh, what for all of us growing up was not reality. Baseball. It was a retreat from all the chaos, the mishigash that was occurring. But now with the settlement between Major League Baseball, the billionaire owners, and the millionaire uh, players, I don't know. I've, I've lost that. I lost that allegiance I had to, to baseball when I was a kid. And I don't see that any of my three sons are interested in baseball. And quite frankly, don't see uh, Many other young people interested in baseball. We'll get into it to the other sportsmaster extraordinaire, Anthony Weiner, who normally be wearing his New York match cap right here. It's not just all politics all the time. It's culture. It's social. It's personal. And, yes, it's a super sports spectacular up next year. Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right. Exclusively to 770 AM WABC. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. On New York's news and talk station, 77 WABC. 
Anthony Weiner, over the years when you were making your bones in politics, first as a city council person in Brooklyn and then a congressman uh, representing Brooklyn and Queens, I would hear you from time to time as a caller, uh, sometimes as a contributor on the fan, which was the go-to uh, sports talk radio station uh, in New York City. Uh, so I know that you uh, were very astute about all different sports, but especially baseball. You pledged your allegiance to the hopeless, sapless Mets. <laughs> I felt sorry for you, as I feel sorry for all Mets fans. And I was a tried and true Yankee fan, so much so that I actually hosted sports talk uh, radio programs here on WABC when we carried the Yankees years ago. And at ESPN, right after Warner Wolf. Warner Wolf did mornings on Saturdays, and I did mid mornings until uh, all of a sudden the boys in Bristol called up Tim McCarthy at that time, who was the general manager. Who is that guy who's attacking the commissioner of baseball, Bud Selig, by saying he's got a bad rug on his head, he's wearing high waters, and he's got the polyester waffle weave flame retardant pants. So I was immediately told, you're out of here. But you know sports. I know sports. You love baseball. I love baseball. But I got to tell you, after this recent round, this lockdown after COVID-19, millionaire baseball players arguing with billionaire owners, I'm almost at the point that I've had it. I've had it because this was always fantasy. This was always something we could retreat into no matter how many wars, the Vietnam War, riots that took place in the aftermath of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, assassination, all kinds of problems we had growing up. And yet it could always take that Sony little transistor radio and listen to Yankee baseball and listen to how the Mets were getting beaten. It just made my day. Hmm. Well, I, I, I don't – you see, I'm different on this stuff. I don't care about these contract things. I mean, they're going to be on the field for 162 the field's this the season's going to be compressed. I don't know. They're going to have the Yankees going to have a tough time making up their teams their games because they were playing guys from the West. The first, but there's going to be no problem for the for the for the Mets to make up their games. I really don't start paying attention to the end of the hockey season anyway. It is going to make for a fascinating few days here of um, of free agent signings because they haven't been able to do any signings up to now. So it's going to be a flurry of stuff that's going to be interesting. I think the Mets still need some. Some help, obviously, in the bullpen. They, I think their depth in the rotation could use some help. I, and the, the Yankees, you know, they don't have a shortstop. I, I, I don't care. It worked out fine. What they See, this is the thing. I didn't have to read all those stories about the negotiations. I had a feeling they were going to resolve it. The strange thing about these negotiations is it's really not like any other labor workforce. It's more like, you know, performers in the movies or something. You know, when, when the, the, the employees are also the product. Um, but I'm fine. I think baseball has some problems that they have to resolve. Like, I'm not one of these traditionalists. You want to put advertisements on their helmets, that's fine. They did it in hockey this year. The, the earth didn't stop rotating on its axis. I mean, there are things that they can do. I do believe the games are, are too long. They're getting rid of the of the seventh inning, the seven inning doubleheaders. Um, I'm not. I'm. I, I frankly never had a problem with the DH. I think strategizing a little bit around pitchers that that can't hit is not the worst thing in the world. <clears throat> but all that being said, I don't care. Let these guys make their money. They're they're putting a lot of money in the owners' pockets. All of these teams are rising in value. I don't care. They, they're now they got it together. Now let's play. Are you concerned though? Uh, I don't know. I can't speak uh, what your son is involved with, but I have three sons: Anthony, who's an intern here. At WABC, my oldest, he also does the podcast with me that you all can listen to, a father and a son, uh, 
Curtis and Anthony. We discuss all kinds of issues. Uh, I brought him to a baseball coach when he was very younger, just didn't like baseball. Then my uh, middle son, uh, Carter, uh, we batted around baseball a little bit when he was growing up, didn't have an interest. My youngest son, Hunter, he seemed to take to it. He, he was like a natural, and then all of a sudden, no interest at all. Uh, soccer seems to be the game of this uh, young generation. Very few of them show any kind of interest in baseball. And the number one interest that the, all three of my sons have, roadblocks. Roadblocks and it's roadblocks. very slow. Roadblocks, no D in there. Roadblocks. Roadblocks. No D. Roadblocks. Oh, excuse me. Roadblocks. Fortnite? Are they into Fortnite? They were, but no Good. longer because they, they, they neutered the game. Thank God. I mean, they, they call it nerfing the game, but all right. I mean, I don't have to, I have to wow, give you. Wow, you're, you're a cognoscente <laughs> I have here. A ten, I have a 10-year-old at home. I have a 10-year-old at home. I can put him through college with what he, what, you know, he needs for V-Bucks and Roblox money. But, you know, that's a different question, and that is a real problem for Major League Baseball. I could not, I could not get Jordan to sit through a nine inning game. I have trouble sitting through a nine inning game. Um, you know, it, 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 with Jordan, when when they do the, the 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 t-shirt toss during the game, that's like the highlight of the game. He's like bored to tears otherwise. And I think those are those are things that need some rule changes around. But you're exactly right; they have a real problem around that generation. And I'm not a hundred percent sure why. I think for us, and that might be the case for you too, stickball was the gateway into baseball for me. Because stickball, you didn't need 18 guys. You didn't need a big, a big field. You didn't have to walk up to Prospect Park to go play it or go down to the schoolyard and play it. You can just do it right on the block from, from manhole to manhole. Um, I don't know why it's not. they're not taking to it. You're right. Soccer is exploding. But soccer is the kind of thing, again, you get three or four kids out in the schoolyard, you've got enough to be, you know, baseball is a little bit more. But the, the real thing that's, prob- that's problematic is the national shortening of kids' attention spans because of video games. They baseball has to catch up on. You know, if you want to get Jordan to, to be interested in baseball, he'll play MLB 22 for two hours straight without any problem, but I can't get him to watch a ball game. It is a problem long-term for baseball, and I think they acknowledge it, whether it's the pitch clock, whether it's the starting the guy on second base, which I don't think they're going to do any more in extra innings. They recognize they have a problem with this, and to their credit, I think the players realize it as well, and hopefully that is something they address. But even, even playing the game, Little League Baseball... Uh, uh, Babe Ruth baseball, Pony League, all the all the uh, teams that I played uh, with, in which you you couldn't wait to go out and practice. Never mind play the game. Now I pass diamond after diamond. All of these built with a lot of tax dollars over the years by different generations. They're empty. There's nobody playing baseball. If not for Dominican kids and Dominican adults, uh, because they love baseball, and others who are from. Uh, uh, Venezuela or uh, other countries in Central America would love baseball. They, you didn't see almost no baseball yep. being played at all. Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 it's true. They're, there's not a ton of baseball that, that goes – or it just seems that way, and admittedly. I'm not in, the, in that firmament because Jordan doesn't, isn't that into it. Played at the, at the, at the Stuyvesant uh, uh, Little League for a while. He had a great experience there, but it didn't stick to it, as, as I've told you before. Like, hockey's really stuck with him. He, he always asked to play more. And, but, but baseball has, has this problem. Now, if they would have gone on strike and lost a half a season or lost a quarter of a season, uh, or I mean, or the lockout, would rather, would have continued for, for more, they would have lost an opportunity. They got it together in time. The details I could not care less about. Like you said, everyone's making plenty of money in these things. They've made some some changes that do seem like they make some sense, like having a draft just you know for foreign players just like they do for American-born players seems to make sense to me. 
Um, but I'm I'm glad that they uh, I'm glad they 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 got it resolved and, 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 and now they can play. But I I admit I admit I probably am not going to pay attention till after the Stanley Cup playoffs are over. And going to games because always a rite of passage was you would take your sons or daughters to a game. Uh, I I oftentimes went with my friends. It wasn't at all uncommon that I get on the train. And go for a doubleheader. I had a student government organization card. I got a reduced price. You could brown bag your lunch. Now, God forbid, you bring your brown bag and they toss it, you know, when you you, you have to take a reverse mortgage to show your ticket to the ticket taker. They've killed it. Curtis, what was the the milk brand that had the, you can cut the coupons on the back and say if you had enough of them, you can get a, a general admission ticket? What was that, Elmwood? No. Started with a D, I think. Oh, Delwood. Delwood. Yeah. They right. used to have the things. They were about the size of two postage stamps. You clip them off the back, and you'd save them up. And I think if you had 20 of them, you get a general admission ticket, stuff like that. So even in that way, at the morning table with your cereal, you're looking at the baseball thing. For me, my big entry into, into loving baseball was the 1972 Mets when they went to the World Series, and Felix Mian was my favorite player because my coach would say to me, choke up, and I said, ah, oh, no one chokes up. I said, Felix Mion chokes up, and when he did, you know, he choked way the heck well, up. Well, same thing with Yankee fans, Bobby Richardson. He would choke right. up before your time. Uh, Ron Hunt would choke up, and not only that, would lean into pitches to get hit. Yeah, yeah. You know, would blouse his uniform out, so the empire would say, ah, go to first, and the pitcher would say, what are you talking about? Well, you hit him. You hit Ron well, Hunt. Well, that's, that's the other thing that's missing, and – there's nothing quite like the relationship between a coach and a kid when you're at that age. You yes. learn so much about everything, sportsmanship, the rules of the game, stuff that you and I know now that we can say to our kids. We learn from some a coach I'll never remember, you know, pointing when you throw, that kind of thing, how to see you know, All of these things, you know, in, in Pop Warner football, you know, run with a wide base. I don't know who taught me that, but I still now when I'm running in the snow with Jordan, I always say that. Keep a, keep a wide base, you know, make yourself harder to tackle. All of these things, baseball is missing out on as, as people go to soccer and go to hockey and go to other sports. Um, and baseball has to worry about that. And, uh, and, and I, 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 you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm going to push Jordan to play baseball this summer. Oh, that's great. That's great. You've got to keep us informed of whether he takes to it or he doesn't. I remember first going for my Little League tryouts at Seaview Field. I wasn't doing very well, and the coach said to me, Psst. You're right out. I thought, well, I got to go home. No, no, right field, because nobody hit to right field back then. Very few lefties. And then the coach would pray to God that nobody hit a fly ball to you. And he would say to you, if the ball lands, jump on it. Don't let it get past you. Whatever you do, don't let it get past you. So if you were out in right field, you knew you were, you were barely able to play. Next, next spot, you'd be collecting splinters on the bench as a scrub. Yep, that that was it. I I I played some shortstop, some some second base when I was when I could make the throw. They moved me over over to shortstop. My claim to fame was that I was a I was not a great hitter as a contact kind of slap hitter, but I had a lot of range back in my day of like getting to ground balls, and so I I had fun playing the infield. But but I would I my, my buddies and I would go out and just shag flies for like hours oh, yeah. at a time. Exactly, we would just go out there and just you know. Uh, oh, and if you get an adult who would like to take you on Sunday who had a fungal bat, yep. uh, like Frank Crescetti, Frank Crescetti of the Yankees, would fungal fly balls out. You'd be watching it. There's Mickey Mantle in center. There's Roger Maris in, in right field. There's Tommy Tresh in left field. You were like, oh, the fungal bat. What is that? Magically makes the ball go up in the air. No, I get it. What it, what it makes it do, and a, and a good coach can aim a fungo like a 
a bullet to a target, you know, because it's light and small and you can smack it wherever you, wherever you need to go. But, um, but you know, the, and, and a lot of these, these fundamental – in order to be a good fan, I think it helps to have played when you were a kid. You know what you're looking for. But, but as you mentioned, going to the games, you know, for a nine, a seven, eight-year-old kid – uh, nine inning game, you're going to be you're investing four and a half hours between getting there and watching the game. That's a lot of time to well, get that, a kid to and, sit and in the plus, spot. My God, it's like a parade to get up at bat. You got your theme song. You're pulling your jump strap. You're taking your gloves off. You're putting them back on. Get into the freaking batter's box and swing. Yeah, they they. they I think they had some talk. I I think they left a lot of that stuff out of the deal with the commitment to go and talk about it. They had this notion. This idea of a 15 or a 14 second clock on the pitcher when there's no one on base, and a 19 second clock when someone's on base. Crazy. I, I, it, but that's only part of the problem. You know, it's only part of the problem. Also, you know, really good hitters are taking a lot more pitches than they used to. Um, the the games are just the games are slow, and so what they do at the stadium now, it's a multimedia extravaganza trying to keep people engaged with music and games and everything else. But it's still not doing the trick. And and when you look around the stadium, starting about the fourth or fifth innings, you see the kids starting to lose interest. Anyway, when we return, we'll be wrapping it up as we went through personal scenarios, cultural scenarios. Obviously, we talked about the Ukraine war. The politics uh, locally of New York City and the state of New York. And then obviously what was a passion for both Anthony, myself, and so many of you in growing up. Baseball. Not the way it used to be when we were kids. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station. 77 WABC. Anthony Weiner was shocking all in the political world, locally and statewide in New York. A uh, poll came out, Emerson College poll, and it indicated that if a race were to be held tomorrow in the Democratic primary, Andrew Cuomo is only three to four points behind uh, Kathy Hochul, the governor. Uh, Nobody anticipated that. This is after he made his recent buy. You saw a lot of the Cuomo ads on television all the prognosticators, uh, the experts, oh, it won't make a difference. He's dead. Well, guess what? Lazarus may come back again to run into the political process. The most amazing factor of that poll, when you actually uh, looked at the cross tabs and the analytics, was that blacks incredibly, in incredible percentages, now that Tish James is no longer running for governor, uh, were back in Cuomo in incredible numbers. That is a strong constituency to have because African-American women, prime primary voters, if they come out, I could conceivably see how a Cuomo, if he did decide to win, might actually win a four-way race that would include Tom Swasey, who's gone to the right, Jumani Williams is all the way to the left, Kathy Hochul sitting as governor, and the person that everyone knows, whether they love him or hate him, Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, I'm not terribly surprised he moved up. Remember, he's only in the 30s. So that means some somewhere in the 60s, people are saying that they don't want him. He's been on the air with advertisements. To some degree, you expected that advertisement to have that advertising to have some impact. I think Swazi's got to be disappointed. His advertising apparently didn't help much. 
I mean, if you had to predict how this was going to go, if there is a race, I think he has a really difficult time because what that means is that Kathy Hochul puts on the air tens of millions of dollars of ads reminding people about the Cuomo who was at 25% approval rating when he walked out the door. So I think that this this is a lot of speculation, but I think that at the end of the day, Andrew Cuomo probably starts to do some polling when it's closer to election time and, and realizes that he can't he can't win. But the Cuomo name is a name. He's been out there for a long time. The voters did not throw him out. He resigned. Um, I think that part of when you leave – there was that. I mean, he's going to say I didn't leave because I wanted to. I'm leaving because political pressure led me to. And you have a chance to put me back. I think that um, it's going to be, it's going to be a real challenge for him in the context of a real election to be able to come back. And I would be surprised if he doesn't look at the polling closer to election day and decided and and decide that he can't do it. But if if he runs, I I would I would think that Hoka would still be the favorite. Now he's running out of time because uh, figure the seventeenth is St. Patrick's Day, the main. Uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade up Fifth Avenue. So he's got to have signatures, designated signatures, uh, to qualify him to run for governor or whatever office he'd want to run for in this uh, midterm election cycle. Um, he could put it together in like two or three days. Yeah, I, that, I don't think that'll be a, a, huge, a huge obstacle for him. I think the question that becomes for him is what is the risk? And the risk of him losing and going out as a loser I think would really burn – would would burn him to the core, you know, he, but um, he feels he's been unjustly accused. A lot of people think he has been justly accused. I think that's going to be the way the race is going to be litigated. Hochul also, also benefits from being a little bit more of a blank slate. Um, And, uh, uh, but I, 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 I will be the first to admit, I don't know what motivates, what animates Andrew Cuomo. And I don't know if anyone really does. And, by the way, with all the parades taking place, St. Patrick's uh, being the month uh, that kicks off the parade season, does he test the public waters and jump into a parade just to see what the public reaction is? That's not the best place to make your reintroduction because all the TV cameras will go for the people saying Cuomo go away. And I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's that's not the way I would I would do it. I mean, I think that he he'd probably want to do it in a much more kind of Subtle way and way that, that controls the environment a little bit better. I, I really don't have any idea what animates him. You know, I, my path to coming back was not successful because, there. first of all, whatever was in my past had not been resolved. I had not given it really – I had taken some time away, but I never really got things set. I don't think that – I think one of the things Andrew Cuomo is going to be asked is, all right, what have you done – to kind of redeem yourself in the few months that you've come back besides just say that you that you didn't do it. And I think that that's going to be a tough question for a lot of women. Well, you know what it is. He's going to say, I'm Andrew Cuomo. You know me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what he's you going to You used to love me as much as Princess Diana. Now I'm like, you remember me? I used to love me. You know, well, who knows? Remember the PowerPoint? Remember all of a sudden the whole world was watching me? That's the one you should remember. Anyway, once again, another one in the can. If you have missed uh, some of this broadcast, go to WABCRadio.com to get the podcast of uh, Sliwen Wiener. And also, uh, someone emailed me, CharityNavigator.org has rating systems and all the background on charities for Ukraine. Go check it out and choose one that you like.